have been. But Lord, I pray that you would open ears to hear, that you'd open eyes to see who you are, who we are, and that we would walk in your ways. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Amen. All right. Psalm 1. We're going to read the whole psalm all the way through. Psalms are something that really need very little preaching. In fact, if you over-preach it, it often loses a lot of its substance. Uh, It's Hebrew poetry, and I don't think I know any poet who would love to have their work ultra-examined and ripped apart, right? It's supposed to speak one grand thought, or maybe multiple thoughts throughout, but it is a beautiful heart cry, if you will. The Psalms are, are full of these heart cries, lament, rejoice, frustration, redemption, confession, and everywhere in between. And so we start in Psalm 1 today. Let's read it together. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord to us today. And so, right from the top, We need to understand that this psalm is setting up for us the fact that there are two types of people. There is the righteous and the wicked. You know, in our modern age, we are for fighting against division, right? We're fighting against division in many areas. Um, People, you can go to different parts of the world And you will see very clear, I mean, there's still segregated churches in the United States, black and white churches. Um, We see that as a problem, obviously, right? Um, We divide people socially. We divide people into introverts and extroverts. We divide people into, oh, they're the melancholy. Uh, There's the exuberant or the melancholy would call annoying types. Um, you, you get divided by the color of your skin, your nationality, wherever you're from. You get divided by, like, there's Jets fans, and then there's sensible people. And then there's, there's a lot of, yes, I have the microphone. Um, <laughs> um, so we, we don't want division over these things, right? But then in reaction to these bad divisions... People go to a place of saying, well, okay, then there's only one, and that's the human race, and there's just people, and that's it. And everybody's the same. And that sounds and feels good to us because then we're not out, right? It sounds and feels really good to us because we're not out. Everybody's in the circle. 
Well, God is neither of those categories, of all of the multi-category, and he's not that there's only one and everybody's in the circle. He only has two types of people, always, just two. There's the righteous, and then there's the wicked. That's how God sees it. That's how God sees people. There's the righteous, and there's the wicked. That's it. No gray areas. We love gray areas, don't we? We just, and I'm a nuanced guy. I will nuance something till there's nothing left. That's not okay. With God, there's the righteous and the wicked. And you hear it all over scripture. There's the saint and the sinner. There's the wheat and the weeds, the sheep and the goats. There's the good fish and the bad fish. There's a separation that happens between the righteous and the wicked. So as we read this psalm, we read a comparison. That's what's happening. The first three verses, it's, it's very organized. The first three verses describe the righteous person. The last three verses describe the wicked person. And there's this sort of parallelism that happens. So verse 1, the first verse about the righteous, you read about the strength of the righteous. And then verse 4, which is the first verse about the wicked, you read the weakness of the wicked. You see the delight of the righteous compared to the sorrow of the wicked. And then you see the life of the righteous compared to the death of the wicked. And there's this comparison that is happening here. And it starts off with blessed. Blessed. It's a beatitude. There's beatitudes. We know that Jesus' beatitudes, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, right? Blessed are the pure in heart, the meek, right? All of those. There's lots of beatitudes in the Old Testament as well. And so to say you are, you are blessed, this is the one who is best off. This is the one who's discovered somehow the secret to, I don't know, the good life, I guess. We've kind of twisted that. But the secret of real living. Blessed. You are blessed. So then we read verse 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And we think, whoa, okay, blessed. So this is the person, this is the person who has found the best way of living. This is the person who is blessed. And then it has these negatives. Blessed is the person who knows when to say no. Blessed is the person who knows when to say no. That's how this starts. This is someone who won't get sucked in by the culture and the opinion of man. Blessed is the one who can say no. And you see this progression in this verse where there's walking, there's standing, and there's sitting. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. I, I, it struck me just because I knew what, what was coming as we were singing this song. I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. We've sung that this morning. What does the world think God's like? Well, lots of different things, but none of them good, right? And how many of us need some counsel and advice once in a while? Right, so where you go for that advice and that counsel and how you walk out that counsel and that advice matters a lot. 
If you are righteous, you will say no to the world's advice. You do you, whatever feels good. Take revenge. They deserve your hate. That kind of advice. But the righteous, they say no to that advice. And then the righteous will not stand in the way of sinners. And so to stand, the Hebrew word here is it's kind of like this idea of describing a group of men hanging around. So you can kind of imagine just a, a bunch of guys, if you're from a small town, you know, the bunch of guys, they're in their overalls, they're hanging out in front of the convenience store. One guy's probably getting cigarettes inside, and they're sitting there talking about who knows what. Blessed is the person who doesn't stand there and hang out there, right? We want to we love sinners, but we don't just partake and hang out in that space, right? We don't stand in that space. That makes sense. To sit, then, is to get further involved. To end up joining with mocking and taking lightly the things of God. Sitting in the seat of scoffers. We don't use the word scoffer very much, but it's, it's a mocking of sacred things. It's a joking about and making fun of sacred things. And so basically if you, well, yeah, if you imagine every curse word you've ever known, it's basically mocking something about God or the marital relationship, mostly, at some, at some degree, which are sacred things. And so when you sit in that seat, when you sit in that seat, you're taking part in it. And the righteous has nothing to do with that. Nothing to do with mocking sacred things. So the righteous learns to say no. This sounds like a boring life so far. <laughs> yeah? It's like, okay, no? Good. Well, you already know the answer to the end of this message then. It can sound like a boring life if you don't know Christ. Because now you got, it starts out, the righteous learn to say, learn to say no to, to things that are contrary to God. You're denied a lot of worldly delight and pleasures. Yes. Yeah, you will. But there's a deeper delight than this world has to offer. There is a deeper delight than this world has to offer. Lord, put it in our hearts the world has only temporary delights that will lead to destruction. And as we learn to delight in the Lord, that only increases forever. Deep, satisfying delight. We'll go to verse 2. We'll just keep reading through this. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And so now you're like, his delight is in the law. And when David writes this psalm, he's writing about Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. That's what he means by the law here. So his delight is in Leviticus, right? That place where you started out your Bible in one year and then you stopped and haven't gone back there yet. Like that place is where his delight is. And now the, the conviction of the Spirit. You're going to pick up that Bible tomorrow morning. I know it. <laughs> um, 
His delight is in the law of the Lord. Because when you actually get a proper vision of who God is and the way he's actually designed this whole thing to work, his laws become life-giving and joyful because not only do they save you from so much sorrow, but they actually allow you to walk in so much delight. And so in the Old Testament, the first five books of the book, David is delighting. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, if I was to say, to, that's just a strange thing to, to delight in the law. Like, how many of you just delight in the traffic laws? Like, you're just in that, just studying the traffic laws. Anybody's hands going up? No? How many of you really were passionate about getting into that book when you were 15, 16 years old? Right? I was reading that book because I really wanted to drive. And so when you really want to walk with the Lord, his book becomes your delight. And you really see, because I want that life. See, I wanted to drive, so I got into that book. I wanted that life. I wanted the freedom of sitting behind the 88 Pontiac 6000, cruising around. And I want the delight of walking in step with Jesus and knowing the abundant life that he has for me. And so I delight in his law. I delight in getting into his word and learning more about him and how I get to walk in step with him. I delight in his law. And you meditate on it. You chew on it. You read the word in it, and you bring it to mind regularly. You let it soak into your mind and in your heart. Lots of people nowadays, it's, it seems it's really increasing, especially in my generation. I'm 34 years old. This meditation, this Eastern mysticism is coming in. And, and it's, there's this... Because our Western culture, we're just not good at just being quiet, right? We're just, we're just not good at it. Maybe you are. Well, you're, you're very much a minority. We're just not good at being quiet at, as a whole. And so to meditate means you just got to be quiet. Think on his word. Think how it attaches to other parts of his word. How does this apply? Use your mind. Pray. Allow him to put it in your heart. Meditating. Um, the word meditates, um, um, David Pawson, who's a theologian, had, had described it like this. Meditate is kind of like a talking to yourself. You talk to yourself about God's word. Oh, what about, what about this? Or how does this fit in? Or how does this apply to me? And you, and you go through and you talk to yourself all day long about God's word. You meditate upon his word. And your delight is in it. That's what the righteous is like. It says, he's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers. I mean, we, we're putting our hands up for that part, right? We usually like the, we don't, we like to skip the learn to say no part, but we're into the, in everything we do, we prosper part. <laughs> what is the life of the righteous like? Like a tree. You just picture David like 
I'm assuming he saw trees. Much of, much of art and much of poetry and songs are from just things you, you see and it reminds you and you dwell on it and it comes out. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. Picture David looking out at the Jordan and seeing, seeing the tree planted by a stream of water compared to the one in the desert. Well, there's a stark contrast there, isn't there? He's like a tree planted by streams of water. And I'd like to zoom in. I told you to... I don't want to unpack this too much. I want, the, the, I want you to read this on your own too and see what the, what the Lord would, would do with it in your heart. But it's cool to me that this tree is planted by streams of water. It, didn't, it wasn't born there. It wasn't automatically at this stream. It wasn't that just by happenstance that seed landed there. The righteous is like a tree that was picked up and planted by the stream, intentionally and purposefully there. And that's something that the Lord has to do in us. He has to take us from the desert, which we were all born in, and plant us beside the stream of water. And we got a drink from that water. It yields its fruit in its season. I like this, because sometimes people are, have taken this and say, well, you know what, it's just not the season for my fruit right now. I don't have to be patient. <laughs> I don't have to be kind. No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying when the time is right, it has fruit. So when a situation arises, okay, so back up. Sorry, I didn't explain that well. I, I liken this to the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So when a situation arises in your life because you are planted by the stream of water and you are flourishing, when somebody makes you upset, you have patience because it's the season for patience. The time is now and you have that fruit. See, because you're not going to look like a patient person if nobody ever puts you in a place of practicing patience. Whoa. I should rap or something. That was good. (laughs) Uh, Sorry. (laughs) A prideful moment there. Um, No. You You know what I'm talking about. The fruit is there when you need it, when you're planted beside the water. The righteous person has what they need because they are healthy and vibrant. They are evergreen fruit bears. Year in, year out, they never stop being green. When Lee and I moved to Castlegar uh, eight years ago-ish, we moved uh, January 2nd, and we moved from here, um, and we landed in Castlegar, BC, middle of the mountains, and we, and we ended up buying this place. We moved in in February, but we were looking the first couple weeks in January at houses, and we pulled into this driveway, and it was the weirdest thing. Um, how many of you know the rhododendron plant? So rhododendrons. So there's, we're in the mountains, so there's snow this deep, and there's green leaves on, the, on these bushes. And I just, I couldn't figure it out. He's like a rhododendron plant who keeps his, greens, who keeps his leaves green all the time because you're planted. evergreen, and they're always bearing fruit at the right time, something that lasts 
and is worthwhile. So that's the righteous. That's the righteous. Remember, God has two categories, the righteous and the wicked. The righteous and the wicked. So we see verse 4. The wicked are not so, or in the original language it says, not so, not so, it says it twice. Not so, not so, the wicked. But are like chaff that the wind drives away. So something important for us to understand here, before we go any further, is that this, this word wicked, when we think of the word wicked, we think of atrocities. We think of someone who is just evil. We think of things like genocide or things that happen during wartime or, or somebody you might see on the news for some unspeakable crime. That's what we think of when we think of wicked, right? Like someone who's just really bad is wicked. Well, the, the word wicked literally just means ungodly. One who lives without God. That's what wicked is. Ungodly, unlike God, one who lives without God. That's wicked. So all of a sudden, that circle's a lot bigger. Right? This, this is, the wicked is, is the people who take the life that God gives them, which is everyone. He gives everyone life. People who take the life God gives, that life was intended to give and to receive love from God, They take that life and they never give God a moment or a care at all, and they live for themselves. That's the wicked, quite simply. They're not fruit-bearing trees. Here's the contrast right away. Well, the righteous were evergreen fruit-bearers, but not the wicked. They are contrasted as completely useless to God. They are like chaff the wind drives away. How many farmers here today? Okay, how many of you love chaff? Isn't it? It's the plus 40 day, and it's about 35 kilometer an hour winds. And that chaff is getting into everything. And oh, I just hated chaff when I was a kid. I don't farm anymore, but I grew up in and around farms. And oh, the chaff, it just, it's irritating. You just want to get rid of it. It's good for nothing. It's the part of the plant after processing that is literally good for nothing and it just has to go away. Completely useless. That's what the wicked are like to God. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. One day... All will be revealed for what it truly is. Okay? Now, God has given great grace and is long-suffering and is bearing with people in hopes that they would respond to him. And one day it's going to be too late for, for those on Judgment Day. One day we'll, we will be revealed for what we truly are. And in God's categories, that's one or the other. Righteous or wicked. The righteous delight in the law today. But everyone's going to be judged. And that law will stand. The wicked will not stand in that day. The wicked will not stand on judgment day. 
The wicked can stand with the righteous and pretend for a while now. It says sinners won't be in the congregation of the righteous. Well, right now, if we were honest, in any congregational setting where there's a lot of people gathered together as a church, there's probably some sinners and not righteous that sneak in here. We actually want you here, by the way. But you can sing, you can go through the motions, and you can pretend for a lifetime, which would be a tragedy. But in the last day, you will not stand in the congregation of the righteous because God will separate the righteous from the wicked. And in that day, there will only be the righteous left because, again, like chaff, they will be removed, blown away. Only the righteous will be the eternal congregation. That's really good news for the righteous. That's really good news for the righteous. And it's sobering for those who are not yet righteous or those who may never be. It's terrifying. The harvest of the Lord will come, as the word says. The harvest of the Lord will come, and the separation of the wheat and the chaff will be very clear. It will be very clear. Oh, sorry. I missed verse 6 on my slides. That's okay. We have Bibles. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, verse 6, but the way of the wicked will perish. If the life of the righteous was one evergreen fruit-bearing, the contrast is that the death of the wicked is imminent and coming. Right? And it will be final. It will be final. God knows the way of the righteous, it says. It's to say that it's his way. He's familiar with it. He know, that's the only way he knows is the way of the righteous. When Jesus was here, he walked. He only knows the way of the righteous. He had nothing to do with the way of the wicked. Although he loved the wicked and he was involved and sat with sinners, yes, absolutely, he knew nothing of their life and their coming death. He never walked the other path, the way that leads to destruction. So we see this stark contrast of two types of people, the righteous and the wicked. And it's, in, in my opinion, it's kind of a setup for the rest of the Psalms. Because in these Psalms, you will see heart cries of the righteous. Pleas for mercy, thanksgivings, and worship. You will see heart just being wrenched, tears even, in the Psalms. You can see expectation for grand deliverance and a mighty God. But unless you are in the category of the righteous and not the wicked, the rest of the Psalms are of really no use to you. That's the setup for this morning. Unless you're in the category of the righteous, you can't read Psalm 23 and say, the Lord is my shepherd. He will comfort me if you're not in the category of the righteous because the Lord's not your shepherd. So we need to reckon with that. <laughs> At this point... Um, if you're thinking, you haven't talked about Jesus yet, 
Um, good. <laughs> We're going there. I just want you to see that God's category of righteous and wicked has been and always will be very, very clear and important to him. And there is a certain way that the righteous will live. And there is a certain trajectory for the wicked and the righteous. And if you're thinking of this way and you haven't thought about Jesus yet, you're basically thinking, oh, so much for me, I'm in the wicked category. Because without Jesus, we all are. We're all by nature that way. But this is the wonderful news of Jesus. In Jesus, we can be taken up and planted by the stream of water. By his grace, in his life, and in his death, and in his resurrection, all who repent and call upon him for forgiveness will be called righteous. Just because. He loves you. And then the scripture tells us that we must walk in that righteousness in step with the Holy Spirit. We get to walk in righteousness and learn what it is to be blessed by being righteous, delighting in his law, forsaking the ways of the world and bearing fruit in each season. I'm going to read Romans chapter 5, verses 6 to 11, which sums it up very well for us this morning. In Jesus. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Praise the Lord. That's good news. Really good news. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. See, so that Romans 5 piece says, Jesus did it. And you've been set free. And you are declared righteous in him. And we praise him. Thanks be to God. And now we walk forward in righteousness. And so as we go through this series in the Psalms together, are you righteous in that circle? Or are you in the circle of the wicked? According to Jesus. Are you walking with him? Are you delighting in his word? Are you longing for his ways? And are you longing for him? Let's bow our heads. I'm going to actually give you a second just to think on that in this space. I think most of all of us, as I'm looking out here, I'm confident to say I'm praising the Lord that we're in the category of the righteous. But not everybody. 
And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that by your great grace, you would reveal to our hearts our need of you, the weight of sin and its end. And then, Lord, reach down with your loving arm that we may grab that rescue towards righteousness. Lord, right now in our hearts, if there's anything that we have been walking in that has been the way of the world, anything we've been standing in and hanging out with that is not of you, anything that we've been even mocking sacred things, Lord, I pray that you would bring that to mind, that we would confess and leave that with you here today. Repent. Turn from that. And if that's you, you need only say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Father, and ask Jesus for forgiveness. He loves to forgive. Father in heaven, today I pray that you would once again show us your great grace, that we would walk from this place rejoicing because we get to rejoice that we are slaves now to righteousness, which is the blessed life, truly is the blessed life. Give us expectation and a hope and a, and a realization of the depth of the truth of that statement. That is the blessed life to be found in the righteous. Father, as we go from this place today, I ask for your grace that we would walk in your ways, living as fully into what Christ has made us to be, righteous in you. We thank you for your grace. Lord, I pray that you even remind us throughout the day today when we're prone to walk in the counsel of the, of the wicked, of the world, Lord, that you'd remind us and keep us on your narrow path. Thank you for that grace in the Holy Spirit. Thank you for this time together in your word. Amen.